Jack taught me four things real quick. Say yes, show up, come back, bring friends. And that's what I want to do. We want to change the world one life at a time, starting with yours. Welcome to Playmakers. I'm your host, Paul Epstein, 15-year NFL and NBA business exec, widely known as the 49ers Y coach. Now, your coach. Join me on this journey from why to purpose to impact. The key to it all, taking action. Prepare to get tactical as our guests share their daily playbook where purpose no longer has to be a distant North Star. It can become a 365 way of life. Let's go. Playmakers, it's about that time to welcome John O'Leary into the conversation. John is a two-time national best-selling author and world-renowned thought leader who was once expected to die. In 1987, John played with fire and gasoline, creating a massive explosion in his home, burned on 100% of his body. He was given less than a 1% chance to live. You're about to hear the rest of the story. Today, John hosts the Live Inspired podcast, which has more than 2.5 million downloads and speaks to over 50,000 people every single year. His two books, On Fire and In Awe, have humbly sold over a quarter million copies to date. I hope you're as fired up for the conversation as I am. Buckle up and let's welcome John O'Leary into the Playmakers podcast. John, welcome to Playmakers. How are we doing? Paul, I'm awesome, man. And even better now that I get to see you face to face. Absolutely. No, and I know we've been connected through many, many mutual folks. And why don't we just start there? Because as we were just chatting offline about some similar relationships that we have, I also think on an even greater scale, we have a very similar mission for people, for life, for impact. And so as every playmaker tuning in right now, we're obsessed with this thing called purpose, but not where it's a North Star, more so where it's a way of life. And the question we always ask is, are you living your life on purpose or is life just happening to you. And in your case, you go deep on feeling alive. And I'm going to quote you here. Feeling alive is different from being awake. And we need to wake people up from accidental living. So talk to me about the spirit of where that comes from. Well, it's it's entirely too early for you to be quoting O'Leary to O'Leary, but uh, I'm going to follow (laughs) your lead. And dude, you're, you're exactly right. This idea of being alive, it's, it's, it's a start, but it's not enough. And it certainly will never allow you to live out your full purpose. So where did that come from? It came from a guy who lived the majority of his life um, alive, but not not living it intentionally. I was accidentally stepping through work and faith and family and health and finance and generosity and everything. And a lot of things collided at the same moment to draw me forward and wake me up. And these are probably not where you thought you would begin the conversation with me today, Paul, but they really happened in my late 20s. So not at age nine when the fire occurred, but two and a half decades actually afterwards, I two things happened successfully. The first was this. I'm in a church and a pastor was speaking to 600 people, but he was looking right at me and he was talking about talents. And I'd always viewed myself academically and intellectually and financially and, and charisma and looks and everything else as having yeah. one talent, just one time. I'm a one talent guy, but he was reminding those with five to, to multiply and those with three to multiply. And John O'Leary, even you, man, low man on the totem pole, multiply, man. So that just resonated with me. This idea that no matter who I thought I was, I was made for more. And then a day and a half later, I'm at a construction site. I ran a small construction company in St. Louis, Missouri, and a phone call buzzed my pocket. I opened up my phone, flipped this thing open, and a little girl said, Mr. O'Leary? And I said, oh, I I think you want my dad. And she said, no, no, Mr. O'Leary, I I want you. Your daddy gave me your number. Mr. O'Leary, would you share the story of, of how you got burned with my school? And Paul, man, I, you know, I got one talent, man. I'd never told anybody publicly how I got burned. It was the kind of event that I wanted to run away from. Why would you want to celebrate something yeah. horrible? But on that day, a couple of days after somebody told me, John, multiply your talents. I said yes to her. Spoke to three Girl Scouts. That's my coming out party, man. The big audience of three from that group. It led to <laughs> eight 
It led to 16. It led to a few more from there. And over the last 18 years, I've been traveling the world, sharing the story of coming alive, of being intentionally and not allowing the difficult things we've been through and who hasn't to negatively define you. It can, in fact, refine you to become a far better version of yourself. And so that that's part of my coming alive story when I started to discern my purpose. Yeah, well, where I love your bringing us is, so you mentioned that was in your late 20s. So give or take a couple decades after the infamous day where I know, and, and by the way, and a lot of playmakers already know your story. We're going to definitely reshare it as well for those that are just tuning into it. But what I have heard you say in other conversations is, would you change anything, right? When you're, when you've been asked that, Hey, if you could go back to that day and if you didn't experience the, those burns and just the overall dominoes that follow in this case for decades and you say that you wouldn't take it back. But I think this is an inspiring connection point for all playmakers, John, because maybe there's some tragedy, maybe there's some crisis, or maybe it's a smaller setback. Maybe somebody was let go from a job. Maybe there's something pandemic related, whatever form of adversity somebody tuning into this has experienced. In your case, you know, sometimes we often look at the coming months or even couple of years to say, why did this happen? And what is that the light in this story? And what you're bringing us to is sometimes it might even take decades. So what a message of hope, of optimism, and uh, would love to hear your thoughts on just for some playmaker that might be struggling out there, what's the burn to stay in the fight? Like why stay in the fight? Well, gosh, you said a lot there and you actually asked quite a bit there. And so I'm going to try to slowly unpack it as best I can. Yeah. The, the, the first is to recognize that you aren't here by accident. I, I think we mm -hmm. sometimes cheapen the dignity and the majesty and the miracle of our life. So if you are like me and you believe that, uh, then what you've been through is also not cheap and it's also not accidental. That doesn't make it easy or necessarily enjoyable yeah. or fun. But it does mean there's reason for it. And our job then going forward with our backpacks on and our boots strapped up is to figure out what that reason is and how to apply it for a purpose bigger than ourselves. So I'm a big success guy, no doubt, but I'm far more into significance, far more into utilizing the things that have happened to us to elevate those around us. Uh, yes. And what I've always found is <laughs> for people whose stories are all filled with success after success, it almost bores me to sleep. It is the individuals who've been through the fires. You mentioned, you know, maybe you just had a COVID experience or you just lost your job or a lo loved one. Like, man, yeah. these are huge things. Loss of a loved one, COVID experience, loss of job, loss of passion. These are big moments in our life, but they're not the end of our life. That They are chapters. Yeah. And so I'm always seeking, like, what have I learned from this experience? And a lot of times it's around resiliency. A lot of times it's around faithfulness. A lot of times it's around grit. But almost always it's around compassion, because when you and I can connect on the fact that, uh, hey, I went through a fire when I was a little boy. But but Paul, you man, you grew up in a single family home or you, you didn't get in the college that you desired and it completely train wrecked you for three years or you, you made some really bad decisions in your mid 20s. All of a sudden, yeah, you didn't get burned and I didn't do that stuff, but we've got a common cause. We've got a bridgehead to move forward from. So I, I think these difficult experiences that you reference in that question is actually the stuff that allows us to solidify and move forward as one together. So that, that's a big deal for me. The second piece is the sanctity of life. I believe that and I believe your life matters. Your job then is to act like it. And then you talked about purpose. Victor Frankl, you know, so you're in my office. So this is for those of us able to physically see this interview. Behind me is my family. That's my why. That's why I get up early. The wall behind this camera, these are all the guests that I've interviewed on our Live Inspired podcast. These are mountain climbers and astronauts yeah. and presidents and authors, just amazing human beings, servants, just servants. But over to the right over there, that's like the Mount Rushmore, man. These are the people I want to be like. So it's Martin Luther King Jr. And he's pictured with his hand on his daughter. It's a woman named Mother Teresa, and she's holding a child. Abraham Lincoln, not a whole lot of pictures of him, almost none with his children, but there's one with his son. And he's looking at his son with this tender, tender look of love and Oscar Romero and all these other guys. Ordinary people who lived extraordinary lives day after day. We read about them and we think like they're icons and we forget the fact that they also had a rise. 
they had to get their shoes on. They had to go out and, and attack the day. And so I'm focused on my why and the way we can get focused on ours. And then I'll put a, hopefully a bow on your, your question. Ask yourself, why would I thrive in the midst of a fire, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of I'm between jobs. I don't have a relationship that I'm proud of right now. Whatever that thing is, why are you going to get out of bed? Why are you going to attack the day? Why are you going to find success and pursue it and significance? Ultimately condensed down to why will you thrive? Stop making excuses. Why will you thrive? And when I answered that question years ago, and as I still answer today, because my fire did not end when I got out of the hospital. As you record me today, I have no fingers. I'm in pain all the time physically. I walk with a limp. My arms are both at 90 degrees. This is not necessarily physically a pretty picture. But man, I challenge anybody to find a life that's better than mine. I'm so blessed. It's shocking. Why thrive through the agony, through the difficulty? including the days where you don't feel like it because I'm not a big feelings guy. Most days I don't feel like thriving. So I choose to thrive because for me, God demands it. My family deserves it. The world is starved for it. Read the headlines. Let's roll. No excuses. No excuses. So that's my operating statement that allowed me early this morning, 4.30 to rise and begin attacking the day. It's why you and I are together right now. It's why we do the work we do around here. But it's also why I'm home for dinner and serving my wife and taking care of my kids and loving my father who's got Parkinson's disease. I know why I'm going to thrive and listeners to you. And if you don't ask yourself the question, I choose to thrive because... Yeah, I choose to thrive because that's beautiful. And you mentioned before we go back to the the origin story here of the burn. One thing you mentioned that, hey, no fingers, but yet when I know and I see and I hear and I feel the millions of folks that you have impacted through the mission that you're on, one of the things you do outside of being an amazing world-class speaker, and I, you won't say that about yourself, so I'll just give out the humble pie here. But one thing that you do is- So you is, could say it about me. I'll give you the $26 we agreed upon. <laughs> I love it. I love it. One thing you do, though, you play the piano. And I think that's an important part because it ties back to that piece about, as, as we've heard many folks say about turning wounds into wisdom, I think there's gifts in a lot of the challenges that we're going through. So, and, and you also, I'll, I'll go here and then we'll, we'll head to the childhood piece, success versus significance. So I think most folks here would say it's a yes and because there is some good in success, but if success is serving self, significance is serving others. I've heard you tell a story about a ladder and a wall that the ladder is on. You mind sharing that with our playmakers? Man, you did your homework. I'm, I'm seriously hugely impressed because you're pulling stories from two different books and different interviews. And so you uh, you did a little bit of recon on the O'Leary Project today. So I pr- appreciate that. The ladder story, and, and, and then we'll, maybe we'll talk about the piano because I think there's a valuable lesson okay. there. But the ladder story comes out of John O'Leary work in construction. I ran my own business, which is ironic for a guy with no fingers to operate a construction business. So uh, listeners talk among yourselves, but I'm working construction, but I'm looking for meaning. So I became a hospital chaplain, just trying to get a little bit of that faith element and service element part of my life. And I'm training to work with kids. But as part of the training, you work with adults. So I walk into this room and, you know, I'm always amazed that these people who are ill or dying invite a stranger in to the sanctity of the space. So like for me, it's humbling. Every single time I was just blown away that I got to visit with people who were near the end of their life or on the, for the kids on the front side, hopefully, of the rest of their lives. But I walked into a room and there was this gray room, no, no, no pictures, no flowers, no balloons, no cards, nothing. Visit with this guy and a longer story made very short. Near the end of the conversation, he said, John, if you had visited me about a decade ago, you would have seen a man who was on top of the world. I ran a business. I had no needs whatsoever financially. We were successful. I was married with three kids. Everything was perfect. And in the pursuit of success, I gave into stress and addiction. And he talked about what that led to in his health. He talked about some decisions he made with alcohol and drugs, how it cost him financially, then the business, then his marriage, and then the relationship with his kids. And then he looked out the window and it was like this painful pause. And then he looked back at me and he said, John, I made it to the very end of my life. I climbed to the very tippity rung of the ladder. 
only to realize I had the damn thing leaned against the wrong wall. And dude, you know, when I heard that, I was probably 30. But this idea of pursuing something so dedicated to it that you might get to the very top of this thing and recognize the very thing you've climbed was leaning against the wrong wall. I think nothing would be worse than to become successful things that just don't matter. At the end of the day, they just don't matter. Yeah. So for me, it was a lesson on pursuing success, but making sure that the success is true, that it serves, you know, my faith view, God, my family, community, and it allows me to use my one talent or maybe more as I journey forward in my life for something even bigger than myself. For everybody listening, and you might, they may have heard me share this before, but as you know, John, when you achieve things in life, let's put them more in the success bucket. They, what you often find is you get to the top of this mountain and unfortunately it does sometimes leave you with a feeling of disappointment if you put too many eggs in that pinnacle, in that peak. I've shared this on the podcast before, but even uh, from one best-selling author, humbly speaking to another, I'll be honest, I was told that, hey, why write a book if it's not going to, and I should have been more in the impact bucket, and I certainly had a ton of impact there, but when I got to that peak, I expected this sense of euphoria, and I was significantly let down because what I didn't realize is I was getting all of that significance, and uh, a neuroscientist would say, you're getting dopamine along the journey, But sometimes we think it's all there as this pot of gold at the end, and it's so quick, and it's fleeting, and it's fast, and it expires, and it disappears. So I I see you nodding your head because it may not be about the book. It's more just about, I think, for every playmaker out there, that's one of those buyer beware. Beware if you put all your eggs in the trophy basket, because oftentimes the shine expires very quick. So with that Let's do a slide pivot. You mentioned you wanted to double click on the piano. So let's double click on the piano. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. And and just on on that piece of success and significance, it's difficult to have significance if you don't also pursue success. So please Mm -hmm. do not leave this interview selling your car and going out into nature and just trying to figure out how, how do I plant corn for others? It's both and. It, the, the more you rise when you're climbing the right ladder, leaning against the right wall, set upon the right foundation, the more you can make a mighty difference for others as you encounter them in their lives, both through dollars, influence, network, on and on and on and on. So yeah. I, I do encourage folks to pursue success and to keep in line what it looks like to make a difference. So it's yeah. it's it's both and regarding making yes. a difference. One of the great leaders in my life was my mom and um you mentioned a few minutes ago about the piano. You know, you're on the line right now with a guy that does not have fingers and has every reason in the world to not be successful in any aspect of life. And for a long time was not successful in any aspect of life. One of the turning points, and there were many, but one of the turning points was early in the recovery after I came home. My mom sees a little boy in a wheelchair having a pity party. Maybe even rightly so, man. I mean, come on, dude. Burned on 100% of his body. It's kind of a deal. You can kind of feel a little bit of pity for yourself for a while. Missing his fingers. Can't get out of the wheelchair back then. I'm struggling. And I keep saying to my mom, you know, no, I'm never going to go back to school. I'm never going to get a job. No little girl will ever want to hold my hand. What's the point of surviving? What's the point of surviving? And by the way, that's a question many of our young people are asking today. We're being real honest about it. Last year in the United States, 1.4 million Americans alone attempted suicide. So this is not something you need to be burned to feel and to struggle with. 1.4 million wondered what's the point of it all. And I've been there. Mm. So my my mother sits with me for a while. She listens for a while. And then eventually she's going to help guide me through this. She makes a phone call to a piano teacher who comes into my life. I can't do a thing. This teacher puts her left arm around me and she says these words to me. And Paul, they're, they were so good to hear in 1987, but I think we're need, needing to be reminded of it again in 2022. The words Mrs. Bartello said to me were, John, this is going to be really, really, really hard. It just is. Welcome to life. Yeah. And then she added, and 
we can do it together. And with that, this beautiful lady grabs a pencil out of her purse. My left arm is, it's called an airplane splint. So it's at 90 degrees from my body. I'm in a wheelchair. I'm on a morphine drip. My right hand is bandaged, so I can't hold a pen. She then tethers that little pen or pencil to my right fingerless, useless, that's how I felt, right hand. And then I start playing the piano with the pencil. Tethered to my hand, the entire time thinking, I hate my mom. You know, my stupid mom. I cannot believe she's making me play the piano today. I hate my mother. And the only time, Paul, I hated mom more than that day was the following. When this woman came back into my life and then the following and then the following and then the following and then the following. In other words, it's not a transaction. It's not a podcast one off. It's a relationship. And this relationship took more than five years to fully grow and to expand. But by the last lesson, a little boy who believed nothing was possible, is playing anything he desires with both hands, is back in school, is eventually going to graduate high school and college, start his own business, take the hand of a beautiful girl named Elizabeth Grace, raise four kids, start a couple businesses, try to give back in the community. All of that, though, stemming from a mom making a phone call to a teacher who's going to put her arm around this little boy who seems to have nothing going for him, saying, knock it off with the victimhood. This is going to be hard. Welcome to life. Welcome to life. And I love that word, underline it. And mm-hmm. we can do it together. So uh, the cool thing about this, the stories that I share, if you're listening or reading, I'm not the hero of any of them. And if you've ever read a book from John O'Leary, my picture's not on the front of any of them. I am the recipient of phenomenal leadership and amazing grace and awesome love. And it's a reminder not only of what we've received, community, Paul, John, and everybody else. Yeah. But what ultimately we can do for those around us as we show up fully. All right, Playmakers, it's about that time to discover your why. It only takes five minutes. And on the other side, you will better understand who you are, how you think, and why you do what you do. Here's how you get the assessment. Text the word why to 310-564-564. 7857. Again, open up a text and send the word why to 310-564-7857. For coaching after, DM me. For now, let's get back to the show. For sure. And you're highlighting not only there's so much to unpack in what you said, but where I really want to focus on here is being a servant, just like whether it's coming from the parenting lens, or in this case, uh, there could be a teacher or a coach. But for a guy like you, and I, I do think these all connect, it's not just developing the leaders in life today. It's also paying it forward to the generations of tomorrow. Because one thing that touched me was when you asked the question of what's the point of surviving? And you gave some very unfortunate facts that get us to the point, and I'll I'll share this quickly with you, John. You don't know this about me or my backstory, but my late father, I did lose him at 19. He was a continuation high school teacher, and one of his former students, years after he passed, John, years after, comes up to me in a barbershop and says, your dad was the first person to ever believe in me, and this next part was the one that got me. He said, your dad gave me a reason to think that tomorrow is worth it. To think that somebody does not think that tomorrow is worth it. And that's where I want to take this conversation next, because I know this about you. And I know with the pandemic that you guys like you and I that were speaking all over the world. I know there was a pause in a lot of live stuff, but still a lot of virtual world slowly opening back up. But I know that you have stayed tried and true to the point where if you're flying into a city, maybe the corporate, maybe the business, maybe the big association that can pay the bills, but you are going to go to whether a school or some other form of touching youth with this message. And that's connected to your second book of In Awe as well, right? Where you're really trying to get that childhood-like joy back. So tell us more about that second book. Tell us about the work that you do with youth because I want all playmakers to listen in to, I believe everybody can create this impact in their life if they make your story their own. Mm. Dude, come on, man. I mean, you're asking like 11 questions with one question mark. <laughs> well, your your life is so robust, my friend. 
our life is so robust, our friends. Yes. I mean, truly, like you mentioned your father losing him at 19, agony and unexplainable. And there's nothing good that comes out of it except years later in a barber shop, some kid who might have taken his life otherwise walks over, puts his arms around you and says, dude, when no one else believed your dad did. And yeah. what does that do for you? And what do, did that do for him? And what might that mean for us? Like, it's a big deal. And we cheapen our life and we cheapen our words and we cheapen our tweets and it all matters. So part of my work is to remind people that their work matters. Their life matters. Their relationships mm -hmm. matter. Act like it. Act like it. We've been fortunate, like you suggested, to do that with corporations and businesses and associations. And what we try to do is when we go into a marketplace to think beyond the stage to think about whether it's a prison or a school or a single child in a hospital room. That's, that's what we're doing a lot of lately. Um, I'm alive through God's grace, my parents' leadership, but a whole lot of randoms came by to visit little John O'Leary. So I now try to pass that forward. I try to be that voice, that encouragement that like your father was reminding people that there's a reason to keep fighting. There's a reason to keep fighting. And the cool thing about that is when you do it for a child or you do it for a prisoner, you do it for a, a, an entire school, that ripple effect goes beyond those who were part of that room. So your father did it for one student and now you felt it. And now you have this podcast and speaking platform and the other work that you're doing. And now that radiates outward from you, this random effect that your dad had on one person. So uh, we can be net losers through our lives and remind people how lousy life is. And that's common. It trends on social or like your dad was like you are. And like we can try to be, we can be these net positive influencers to remind people that life is hard and it is good and it's worth fighting for. And the best is in front of us. So the book and I, and I think this might put a little bow on it. It came out in May of 2020, which you may remember listeners was the height of the pandemic. And for a guy who mm -hmm. made a livelihood out of speaking, when that world disappeared, so did the income that came out of it. And so I'm trying to reconcile this with my kids, 15, 13, 11, and 9. Their dad's home more. Things are a little bit more stressful financially. There's lack of clarity looking forward. All this stuff, man, like I'm normal too. I'm trying to operate this business with my employees and my team members. Uh, but we wanted to not just talk about Living Inspired, but model it. So we, we made a commitment, several things. Number one is we were going to get through this thing together. We were going to be very honest with our kids on some of the struggles, but also how we were going to um, make sense out of this together. And we were going to remain generous in the midst of the storm. It's very easy to be generous when you just won the lottery. When 91 clients for the remain, remainder of 2020 and 2021 call you and say, we're done, we want the refund. And you got a mortgage and you got employees. It's far more difficult to be generous. And you have a book coming up. And so what I decided with the help of my wife is we gave 100% of all pre-sales for the book In Awe to a charity that I love called Big Brothers Big Sisters. I am a little. And I am a big now actively in the community. I'm a board member at Big Brothers Big Sisters. But when I looked at needs, the needs that John and Beth had or our four children had or our employees have here paled in comparison to what these children in the community were dealing with that big brothers, big sisters help support. So we wanted to not just say, Hey, you know, support your organization. We wanted to model it and not only model it for social media or for a podcast two years downstream. I wanted my kids to see it. I wanted them to feel that, that and experience that even in the midst of the storm, we're going to dance. We're going to choose joy. I'm not a big happiness guy. Happiness is an ice cream cone. And then it melts on you. <laughs> happiness is iPhone 14 and then they come up with 15. Dang it. Oh, look at all that. No, that's happy. I don't care about happy. I want joy. And joy is something that, that you can opt into regardless of the season that you are in the middle of. So we wanted to choose joy. We wanted to remain generous. And so we gave away what ended up being a little bit more than $30,000 to Big Brothers Big Sisters, which is awesome. And it was the start and it reminded our kids what it looked like to live in awe. So the lessons they taught me as children, now I'm trying to teach them to keep living out as an adult. I love it. Let me ask you this, more of a tactical thing. So if joy is the spirit that you're really trying to bring into uh, both macro communities, but let's go as micro as possible inside your home. How do you, for all those parents listening in, or maybe there's a brother, sister out there, somebody that you touch, an immediate family member, 
what tactically can we do to bring joy inside of our homes? It's such a great question. I met a woman who ran a multi-billion dollar business. I think it was up in North Dakota. And she's introducing me to her older kids. These kids were maybe 30 through 39, as you can imagine, highly successful. But what impressed me was not how much money they had in their bank account. We were at dinner and they were the most respectful guy, not only to me, but to the staff. And one way you can always judge the character of an individual is how they treat the least among us. And I don't view anybody as higher or less than anybody, but I know many people who do. And many people view the staff as they're there for me. Don't they know that? And these three people were so generous with the staff. And so I asked the woman on the way out that night, I said, can we talk about your kids? Like, what did you do? You know, because it's, it's hard to raise good kids, but it's and particularly difficult when you're a bill, you got a couple billion dollars. How, how'd you do that? And I remember yeah. she shared this and this is this will answer your question, I hope. She said, John, every night before dinner, I would ask them a series of questions. And so these are the questions I ask my kids. I steal shamelessly from people who have modeled better <laughs> behavior than I did. These are the questions. Number one. Where did you see kindness today? And she said, in, in a marketplace where there's so much negativity, it forced my kids to look for the good. So I'm going to say that again because I'm begging your listeners to write it down. Where did you witness kindness today? Secondly, yes. love that. Love that. Where were you kindness for others? Where were you kindness mm-hmm. for others? So now instead of waiting for someone else to do it, you know, maybe the teacher will open up the door, tell him what page to turn his workbook toward. Now they recognize, oh, my stupid mom is going to ask me tonight, where was I kindness? And so all day long, they're looking for it. And the crazy thing about life is what you seek, you find. So these now billionaires, as children, were looking for opportunities to witness kindness and then to model kindness. Then one more thing. And what was the best part of your day? What was the best part of your day? So those three simple questions that she would ask these three kids before dinner in the mid 80s are now questions that John O'Leary asked his four kids before dinner every night. So this is one thing we do. But those are that, that's a big thing. So we pray before we eat. We sit down as a family. We go through those three questions. We turn off technology. We play outside. There's a whole lot of other logistical things. We're big brothers, man. They don't have time for it. Sports and academics. Yeah, you make time for the things that matter. So though my wife and I are bigs, because they're part of our family, so are they. And so they understand serving's part of it. They make time weekly for church. They don't like it. Get out of bed, kids. We're going. And by the end of it, they love it. <laughs> so we are very programmed on the stuff that matters because what you make time for tells the world what is, what is important to you. And so uh, those are some of the things we're doing to make sure our kids experience joy. Well, what's really cool about what you said, John, is one thing leads to another meaning. If you're going to be intentional about not only talking about kindness, but acting on kindness. Now let's connect back to 10, 15 minutes ago, whenever it was that we were talking about significance, service. You mentioned your podcast and how one of the through lines, I know I've heard you talk about how showing up as a servant in life, that that's a massive, massive piece that we could say is a common denominator. So for all playmakers listening, if you think about, well, where do I start? Where do I begin? If I want to have a life of more significance, if I want to create a better impact or a bigger impact, if I want to make a bigger difference, sometimes it's those root fundamentals that aren't as complicated as some of those bigger things. So start with kindness. I love where you're bringing us. Your kids and everybody you're touching, they're seeking kindness and they're looking for the best part of their day. I think that is a beautiful conversation to have on a daily basis. So for all playmakers, we are absolutely registering that. On the drive-in yeah, today, ahead, please. the woman who I was following had a simple, simple bumper sticker. I think it's a quote from Mother Teresa that said, find your own Calcutta. Like, find your own. In other words, you don't need to travel to India to find people in need. Uh, they are to your left and your right. And if you're honest, they're in the mirror. So uh, start where you are is a really cool idea that you, you brought forward, but I just want to echo it. Like, no, you start here. Start now. You don't need to board a plane to get there. So, uh, yeah, start in your own backyard and, and don't wait for tomorrow. Mm, mm, so good. All right. So if I'm a playmaker and I'm listening into the John O'Leary journey thus far, 
We've referenced it. We've touched on it. I said we were going there. You also hinted at it, but I wouldn't want to leave this conversation without folks knowing where you've come from. That origin story, that family story, that initial, and correct me if I'm wrong, I want to fact check this. Uh, day, are we talking a uh, day of the burn, Gen 17 of 1987? Is that right? That is right. So <laughs> the T-Rex, the T-Rex in the suburbs of St. Louis, baby. That's it. All right. Take us back. And, and I'd love for uh, you, John, to take us back to as vividly as you would like to describe it to that day. And we'll conclude this story with a man by the name of Jack Buck. So from the day in 87 to the impact that Jack Buck made on you, would love for that to be the home stretch of our conversation. Yeah. And I'll be relatively brief. And anything, Paul, you want to ask more clarifying questions on, just do so. Because you may want to learn a lot more. But I, at age nine, had seen boys in my neighborhood playing with fire and gasoline. And just assumed if these little fellows can do it, I could as well. So my father was a business owner. He was out of the home. My mother was a history teacher, but also raising four girls. She's out of the house with a couple daughters. I walked into the garage, monkey see, monkey do, bend over a can of gasoline, light a piece of cardboard. Before the liquid even came out, the fumes, the invisible vapors. There's a, you and I could riff on that all afternoon. It's not what you see coming that burns. It's usually the vapor. So the vapors come out of that can, create a massive explosion, split the can in two, ultimately burns me on 100% of my body, trapped me in the garage. It's a messy, dirty, scary, sad, tragic story. We could talk about what my brother did that morning. It's unbelievable. Or what one of my sisters did. It's equally unbelievable. But maybe one of the cool things is my dad eventually about an hour and 20 minutes after the explosion comes into the room and I'm sure I'm in trouble. I am burned on my entire body. I burnt down his house. I know he's going to be mad. My nine-year-old logic at play. And he walks over to me and all he says is, John, look at me when I'm talking to you. And then he added, I have never been so, and this is a tough type A alpha dog veteran. I've never been so proud of anyone in my entire life and my little buddy today this morning i'm just proud to be your dad and then he says i love you i love you i love you and there's nothing you can do about it and so it's this remarkable story of a little boy who made every wrong decision in the book burned himself terribly burnt down his own mom and dad's house got whisked off to the emergency room doctors begin the treatment dad walks in and rather than the expected judgment just love just 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 love man and so that's like such a turning point for me because before he came in i wanted out you know i mean some of us listening to my voice have been there or you're there i wanted out I'm in pain. I'm looking down. My body's different. I remember what I did at the house. I know what's coming next. I want out. And although he did not take away the pain or the five and a half months to follow or the two years of surgery and therapy, that grace and that love and that empathy to meet me where I was was a turning point. Just a a transformational turning point in my story. And we needed others. (laughs) You know, we needed others. So we needed my and mom. John, can I hop in for a second here as well? Because apologies on cutting you off, but you mentioned to just hop in wherever I'm thinking of every playmaker listening to this. And aside from being on the edge of our seats, hearing the details of your story, I want to plug into everybody's life right now, because what if you're in a positional leadership role, you're managing a big team in a business. What if you're the head of a household? What if you are just trying to be the best friend possible for somebody that's super meaningful in your life? And we've all heard the cliche, John, of you could do a hundred things. And if you did 99, right, you often don't hear a word, but then you do that one thing wrong and you never hear the end of it. And so I want all playmakers listening in right now, as you hear John's story, the easy button in that situation, if you're a parent, is to not have grace. It's to be irate. It's to focus on what was lost versus 
pouring into people knowing that their character, their intention to focus on the goodness inside of somebody. So I just wanted to call that out again. Apologize for cutting you off, John, but it was just too important for all playmakers. If you're struggling to find a sense of empathy or connection, or to or if you're seeking to build trust with somebody, I think there's a ton that we can pull from the first part of the story that John is sharing. Well, I'm going to add a second part with, without you even asking for it, but my, my, I think it's easier to be grace during moments of profound tragedy. You saw it on September 11th. You see it in moments when the world is on fire. Sure. In those moments, for the most part, we do get the better angels of ourselves. Good goodness does arrive. It's in the ordinary experiences of life where sometimes we let the other side show up. And so just to put a little bow on this for the parents and the leaders and the managers and the frontline employees and the spouses and partners and single people and addicts and dreamers. And if I missed your name, I, I love you also. But for the rest of us, uh, as you're going through that, I'm thinking about my dad and yeah, I burned down his house and I did all these things. But there was a moment when I was 23, he had just bought a brand new Toyota 4Runner. And, you know, we don't have a lot of money, but we had, we had enough to buy a t brand new Toyota 4Runner. It's beautiful, man. And I say, hey, dad, I'm going out skiing with a couple buddies in Colorado. Can I take the 4Runner? And he's like, absolutely. So we take it. And uh, long story short, leave St. Louis, get through Kansas City. It starts snowing. My buddy Rob is driving 12 hours into this thing in far western Kansas. Hits a spot in the road. We spin out of control into one guardrail, into another, around the other way, facing the wrong way. 18 wheelers buzzing by. Car is trashed. Happens at 3 in the morning. And all night long, I'm as we get off the road eventually, and push the car to safety, thinking about my dad's wrath. He's going to be so mad. And I did not sleep. I was so sad that I, you know, he gave me this gift and I ruined it again. And I'm always ruining things for my dad. And I call him early in the morning and I say, Dad, he goes, have you made it? And I said, not exactly. You know, we're in haze or wherever we were in haze. And he says, uh, okay, what's going on? I said, Dad, we, uh, we had an accident last night. And the very first thing he says, and I'll never forget it. You guys already know where this is going. You okay? And I said, yeah. Yeah, I'm fine. He goes, Rob, okay? Kevin? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're fine. We're in a 400, man. The thing's indestructible. The people inside are at least are indestructible, but the car's trashed. And he said, dude, we'll tow it. You okay, though? And I said, yeah, dad. And I get off the phone and I just realized this was a man who was able throughout his entire life to just model love, you know, grace. He did it in the big things, which allowed him also to do it in the little things. And he did it not only for his children, but for others. That's why he's so beloved. This is a man today who's got Parkinson's disease, can no longer speak. And he is surrounded in love because for the vast majority of his life, he just showed up for others. And that was, those yeah. were words you used, but my dad just kept showing up for others. And so for our parents and listeners, your kids will remember the way you show up, not only when they're in the emergency room, the big moments, but those little things. And we will slip. We will fall. We will. You know, you said 99. All it takes is one. That's right. We will slip once. But if we can have a high as high a batting average as possible, showing up with grace and love, that's what they will remember. They'll remember the slip ups, yeah. but they'll remember that you were there for them. It's a consistency game. And. So to bring us here, so you're now in the hospital and this will be our grand home stretch. You're in the hospital. Give us that story going forward into a man named Jack. To put a bow on it, I have a kid named Jack at home. So you can imagine the influence that this man <laughs> named Jack is about yes. to have on my life. I'm a Cardinal fan growing up here in the Midwest, St. Louis Cardinals baseball. And uh, the way we followed baseball back when the T-Rex was walking around St. Louis is by radio. And the voice of the Cardinals way back in the 80s and 70s and 60s and 50s and in through the early 2000s was a guy named Jack Buck. So for the younger listeners and viewers, Jack is the father of Joe Buck, who's called the World Series and Super Bowls. And he's a celebrity. And I love Joe. But my hero was Jack. And I never met him. But the day after I got burned, my door opens up and I'm laying in the hospital bed. Paul can't move my arms or my legs tied down to a bed. My lungs were burned, so I can't breathe on my own. There's a trach. You can still see the scar on my neck. There's a trach, so I can breathe, but can't eat, drink, or talk. And the final struggle is my eyes are swollen shut. 
So I'm cut off. I'm in total darkness by myself. And then the door opens up and then footsteps walk in and it's Sunday morning and I hear somebody clear their throat. And then I hear the voice of a stranger who I knew as a friend. I'd never met him, but I loved him. And Jack Buck says to me through the darkness, bring in light. (laughs) Kid, wake up, wake up. You are going to live. You're going to survive. Keep fighting. John O'Leary day at the ballpark will make it all worthwhile. And then he says, kid, are you listening? To which I respond with no movement, no words. And then he says back to me, good. <laughs> right? Assume the sale. I'm sure some of your folks are, are sales leaders. <laughs> Just assume the sale. Good, he says. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. And so my nine seconds with Jack Buck end, he walks out of that room leans his head against the glass door, just starts crying, is told by the staff that the little boy is going to die. And if that's where the story ends, it's a good story. The, the celebrity, the grade A talent showed up one time. But as a playmaker, he recognizes it's not about showing up once. Any candidly, any fool can do that. You can stumble into a room once. The amazing, remarkable thing about Jack Buck and all great playmakers and leaders is he came back even though people said it was a waste of his time. Into a stranger's life, he walks on Monday morning, sits down next to me. I'm a dying nine-year-old nobody. And he says the words, kid, wake up. I'm back. You are going to live. You got it? You are going to live. You are going to survive. Keep fighting. John O'Leary Day at the ballpark will make it all worthwhile. Even listen to the language. It's also provocative in what is going to become of this story. The news will tell you how bad your life is, how miserable things are going in Ukraine, how miserable things are going in the market, how horrible Biden is, how miserable Trump was, how lousy you're seeing. Like, it's all about how bad your life is, yeah. and it's getting worse more at 10. Jack Buck, from the greatest generation, a man who grew up in the Depression, who picked up a couple purple hearts in a little skirmish called the Battle of the Bulge, who is dealing with cancer while he's visiting me in hospital, a guy who's dealing in the midst of the storm, is casting a vision of what is possible. Please listen to how countercultural this is and how radically attractive it is. You want to be a playmaker? You really want to set yourself apart? Don't read the news. Don't broadcast it. Don't share it. Make your own. Make it positive. And so, mm. like, we could spend an hour in the soapbox, man, but make your own news. I love it. When everybody yes. else is talking about the fire, don't look at the fire. Look at the helpers because there's always helpers showing up. And that little reminder, reminder to Mr. Rogers changed his life and it changed what he brought into TV for almost four decades. Let it remind you today that what you focus on grows. Jack was focused on what he could do to make a situation better, which is why he came back the second time and the third time and a fourth time. And almost every day over the next five months, I was in hospital. Five months. So having heard that story and every time I hear it, it feels like the first time to be honest. And I literally get the chills, whether I've read it, heard it now directly in front of you. I'll tell you what, John, and and this is for all playmakers. Who do you need to be a Jack Buck for? If you are listening right now, every playmaker, focus on this moment, focus on this question. That story that John just shared, you hear the impact that it made not only on him, but now the millions of people that have been impacted because of Jack inspiring John, who has gone on to inspire many. It's not about the numbers. It's about just one person at a time. And so I just want to challenge every playmaker out there. Who do you need to be a Jack Buck for? And with that, John, you are so awesome, my friend. This was uh, to say as good as advertised would be an understatement. But let me just uh, from a place of abundance. I know you have a podcast, books, speeches, where can playmakers find you, follow you? Please rally us around your mission. Well, our mission is showing up. And uh, you mentioned yeah. Jack Buck. One of my favorite parts about the Jack Buck story is how he heard. So Jack Buck heard not because I was on carryingbridge.com. 
you know, this is this is before Al Gore invented the Internet. So th- th- he is not following <laughs> on CarryingBridge.com. He hears because my neighbor, she was a widow. So playmakers, if you don't find yourself in the story, it's only because you're not trying to. My widowed neighbor, Carol, 60 years old, makes a phone call after the explosion to a friend who calls a friend who calls another friend who calls a dad who goes to a charity auction that night and through grace gets seated next to a guy with white hair named Jack Buck. And while sipping beer and talking spring baseball, one of the men whispers to the the other that a little boy was burned in St. Louis today. Keep him in your thoughts and prayers, Jack. And that night, Jack Buck goes home, journals on his day, asks the question, what more can I do? And on Monday morning, shows up in my life, never letting go, never letting go. And as powerful as the Jack Buck story is, Playmakers, it's important that you recognize it doesn't ever get told if the widow doesn't hear the explosion, quite literally, make a phone call to a friend who makes a phone call to a friend who makes a phone call to a friend who makes a phone call to a dad who tells a friend. We keep asking ourselves, how do we improve the world? I'm not all that worried about it. The way we do it is the way we've always done it. One life at a time. What? That's all. Yeah, that's that's all. So if you, if you want to help make the world better one life at a time, you can go to my website. It's called John O'Leary So John O'Leary where ultimately we hold up a mirror reminding people of their inspiration and of their ability to influence positive change around them. We've got a podcast called the Live Inspired Podcast. So uh, that's a cool place to track us. We've got a social handle. Anywhere that you're online, we're probably there as well. So you can see about the work we do there. And my favorite part about the work we do is not the podcast, although I love it, and not the books, although I enjoy them, or the speaking. It's the one-to-one. So uh, if ever you see an opportunity in your backyard where there's a need and uh, you want help, I'm in. So I'm... uh, (laughs) We're, we, we put our number out there online. We put our email out there online. All of our social handles feed end up in my lap. And when we travel, you mentioned this, Paul, in the beginning, when we are in Indianapolis or Sacramento or Dallas or you name the spot, we track where the needs are so that when John goes there, we can show up in real, real time and bring people with us. Jack taught me four so things, good. four things real quick. Say yeah. yes. Say yes. Show up. Come back. Bring friends. And that's what I want to do. I want to say yes, show up, come back and bring friends. We want to change the world one life at a time, starting with yours. Mm, I love it. And to use the John O'Leary piece from earlier today, if you're wondering where to start, be kind, track your kindness, show up with kindness. So you're awesome, man. Thank you so much for being on Playmakers. We will be infinitely following you, my brother, and uh, just keep doing the inspiring work as we are on a mission together. Thank you, Paul. Well done. Another episode in the books. You know the drill. If it added value to your life, subscribe, share, leave a review, and help grow our Playmaker community. For keynote speaking and why coaching, visit paulepsteinspeaks.com. And last call, if you haven't already, take your why discovery now. Pull out your phones and text the word why to 310 564-7857. Again, text the word Y to 310-564-7857. Playmakers is proudly produced by Detroit Podcast Studios. Until the next time, dominate the day on purpose.